interested in working with families. It's such a common question that people ask me. I think it's just because I come from a big family myself, um, which is a really, you know, it's the source of much laughter in many ways. And so just being surrounded by lots of people that you're kind of connected with um, through blood or other um, links is something that's really familiar with me or familiar to me. And so a lot of my training and the jobs I took after um, training in clinical psychology was focused on working with families. So um, I started working as a research clinical psychologist with Professor Elizabeth Kuypers um, and her colleagues on a trial that was, you know, trying to look at the effectiveness of family interventions with people with lived experience of psychosis in their families. And I just think as a clinician, um, which I am primarily, if you're working with service users or people with lived experience of um, mental health problems, you have to be thinking about what the needs are of their families and people that are important to them. And it strikes me that being a mental health carer is something that is kind of ignored pretty much or certainly not paid much attention to in terms of services, but also in terms of research. We don't really know very much about what it's like being a carer and what we can do to support carers. Why is that, do you think? I just think there's so many different reasons. I think a big, a big reason, an important reason is around resources. I think, um, you know, whether you're in a higher middle-income country, a low middle-income country, there's, there's a finite number of resources and most people focus on the person who's presenting with those difficulties and it often feels like a really tough choice to then divert some of those resources to the person that might be supporting them. And I think, um, you know, if you look through lots of research, families or carers, whichever way you, you want to describe them, have often been overlooked They've often been neglected. They've often been at the back of the queue in terms of people thinking about their needs in their own right. And they do have needs that are completely and utterly independent of the needs of the person they care for. And obviously there might, be, there will be some overlap, but when I'm thinking about working with a care or a family member who might have physical health problems, who might have mental health problems, they're independent of the person they're caring for. And I think, a lot of people just still tend not to think about families um, and their separate needs. And I think that has, then has an impact on, you know, what you might want to consider as a priority for undertaking research and developing, you know, better services and ways of thinking about and supporting families. So argue the case for us, argue the case. Let's, let's think about putting families and caregivers giving them a central role within services and within um, the way that we support people with psychosis, for example, but also giving them more of a central role within the science that we're doing to think about them as a resource that we can use to improve the lives of the people they're caring for. What would you do if you had the power to do that? What impact would it have? to do more of what people are trying to do so if you think even just this you know why are we even meeting it's about the IEPA and focusing on you know early mental health and often I think when you're working in early psychosis services they tend to think 
a bit more immediately about families, the people that surround um, the, the service user. But I would, I would argue, my little, my little wish list, is that you start to think about families' needs in their own right. Not just, although it's important, but not just as, a, as an additional thing to consider in terms of how you're supporting the service user. I want you also to think, actually, that this mum I've got in front of you or this sibling I've got in front of you or this partner, what's going on for them? And even if it's because you're signposting them to the right service for them, that would be a good thing. I think often people tend to enlist the help of family members in a way just to perhaps, you know, gather collateral information about the service user, but they don't ask the carer or the family member how they're doing, how they're sleeping, what's impacting on them. And I think until we do that, then our recovery outcomes for the whole family just might not be as good as we want them to be. And why is that important then, that the family and the carer are thought about um, you know, in and of themselves rather than just a resource that we can use to support the, the person they're caring for? Tell us about the, you know, the high levels of mental illness or physical illness or some of the things that affect carers, the burnout that affects carers, for example. I mean, you've touched upon it perfectly there, Andre, anyway, insofar as being in a caregiving role, not just if you're in severe mental illness, but for any condition, being in the caregiving role can and does impact on your mental and physical health. It's not because you're, you're weak in some way or that you're not cutting it. It's an, it's an important role and it will impact on how you are. But I think one of the things that people tend to forget, it sounds a bit of a cliche, but they really tend to forget that if if a carer becomes poorly themselves, they are more likely to relinquish their caregiving role. And that might be okay. But we also know that if you're more likely to relinquish your caregiving role, the person that you're supporting is also more likely to be impacted. So I, I need you, I need services, I need us to be thinking about how we best support caregivers to think about their health so that they can be in the best position if they wanted to to continue in their caregiving role and by ignoring that that's a that's a problem because we all lose it out I'm a clinician so I work with people I appreciate I don't work with people across their whole life I work with them for a certain amount of time and then they'll move on from my service but it's their families that will always be around and so we want to make sure that they've got the greatest resources and skills and whatever it is they need to do, you know, fulfill their role in the way that they want to. So I know it always feels like a choice. I know that. But it's just really important that we put families also at the forefront in terms of how we're developing things and how we're researching things and how we're resourcing things. What are the big unanswered questions for you if we, if we suddenly had a 10 million pound research budget for mental health carers what would you prioritize oh there'd be so many things but one of the i mean so many things i really want us to be thinking about carers from different groups okay so often if i was to ask you you know who you know describe to me a typical carer most people will think um you know mums 
parents, and you know, they are, you see them a lot in clinical services. You might even think, you know, where you are in the country, you might think mum, parents, white. But caregivers come in so many different shapes and sizes, so many different colours. So I just, I want us to really think about those that are siblings in caregiving roles. What are their specific needs? Those that are caregivers from black communities, Asian communities, what are their, what are their caregiving needs? And there'll be commonalities, we get that, but there'll also be quite specific bits. And I think once we start ha having a better understanding about what those unique aspects are of the caregiving role and also the unique challenges, as well as the, you know, the unique positive bits, then we can develop things a bit better. And I think um, for me, digital interventions really important. It's not that I get jealous, but I look at what we're doing with service users and I think, wow, come on, let's try and do a bit more and have that thinking and resources to um, carers as well. I think definitely about physical health. For me, our physical health needs of carers is really super important, really important. Tell us a bit about that review you did recently, because you looked at digital interventions and we, we kind of we have very little evidence for that, don't, don't we? We know, we know that they're kind of feasible, um, but that's about it. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. But I also think, I mean, I don't want to become, you know, it's all about semantics, little evidence or absence of evidence. So for me, people are just not, you know, we're quite late in the game in trying to do some of this work with carers. We're not you know, if you look what's happening again with service users, they're way ahead. So it's about trying to do more of that work. But we're obviously sounding like a broken record. Doing that requires funding. Doing these things, these, you know, doing having these innovations, they do require money um, and they do require people, you know, being interested to move that along. Um, research projects are costly. Um, so adding in a family or a carer arm often really tips costs into a, you know, a really difficult area. So I just think we need more, more stuff. And you can see even just some of the work from Fiona Lobburn, um, there's some nice work that's going to come through from Jacqueline Singh, Dawn Edge. There are people out there that are trying to do stuff as well as actually in Australia as well. And, um, you know, some groups over there. So I think it's more watch this space, but also a call for people to do more. And another digital intervention of a kind that you've been involved in is this Future Learn online course that you've done. Just tell us a bit about that. I just, I, I mean, people probably hear me say these things a lot. I love the course. I do. I love it. I love it because... Um, if anyone's done a massive open online course, and not just ours, but generally most of these courses are designed to be able to reach really large groups of people as long as they have internet access. And the course that I run is um, in English language, but you know, plans hopefully to translate that. And it's just, I think it's just a fabulous way of getting so many different groups together from across the globe who come together because they're focused on caregiving issues um, in psychosis. And so it's a mixed, it's a mi um, in terms of the course team, it's mixed. So there's nothing, you know, they've got psychiatrists, psychologists, nurses, just across the multidisciplinary group. 
But for me, what I really like global stuff, what I really like is that you can have a family, a carer in Nigeria, okay, who is in discussion with a family or carer relative in Surrey in the UK and in Australia, all very different in terms of their service provision locally, but what isn't different is the impact and their experiences of being in the caregiving role. And that, you know, that speaks volumes, the support that they get from each other whilst learning at the same time in a really, you know, in a way that suits them. I can do five minutes on my course this morning, I can do 10 minutes later on in the evening. That flexibility is brilliant. So I just think anything that we're trying to do and develop that allows a larger number of people to access it can only be a good thing, and certainly for family carers. And I guess it's quite a it's quite a major thing in anyone's life, isn't it? If you're the parent or the sibling of someone who's going through a first episode of psychosis, you know that's such a massive traumatic experience. Um, what would you say to people who are who are doing that at the moment? who are going through that right now, people listening to this podcast, what would your advice be to them? I think hope is really important, actually, Andre. I think is the, if you've ever been through something like that yourself, and, you know, families will tell you that even, even in a two-parent family, you can still feel completely and utterly isolated when that happens to you, because... This isn't, this isn't what you think. This isn't what you plan for. This isn't what you expect your, typically your young son or daughter, whoever it is that's important to you to go through that. And at that time, it just feels like your world has shattered because that's what it is. And anyone to tell you different, it doesn't, it doesn't quite make that difference. But when you begin to speak to other people and there is other people out there, because as you know, psychosis doesn't, you know, it it can affect anyone. It does affect anyone. It's not because you're some really weird, bad person. It is a mental health problem that can affect anyone. But when you speak to other carers who are not right at your stage, but have moved on a little bit, that can be really powerful. And it's the hope that things will change. And I don't mean in some sort of Pollyanna way that it's all suddenly going to get better tomorrow. Um, Yeah, it's going to be tough in different ways, but things can change and things do change and people do and can improve in different ways. But I just think it's about trying to take one day at a time and making sure above all else that you are not on your own, that you are reaching out to people and you're allowing other people to reach out to you because when it happens, it feels, it's, it's an awful shock. It's really confusing and so upsetting, but there is something I've always found. I have, I have found this so powerful actually when I work with families and they look back to how they were when things happened for the first time. And that's not always to say that they're in the position that, you know, everything's perfect the time that I'm speaking to you or the time that we're speaking. And 
when they see the journey that they've also been through and where they're at now. And I think that's really important because when you're going through it, you can be left thinking that nothing's going to change, but it's going to be like this, but it does happen and things do change. And I know we don't say it enough, but I couldn't, I honestly, Andre, I couldn't do my job without families because they're there 24 hours and they didn't go to college or university to do this. They're just generally, in my experience, just doing the best that they can with the resources that they can. Mm -hmm.